Engage. Welcome to the podcast where we deliver practical insights and tactics to improve customer engagement in every episode. This podcast is brought to you by Destiny Engage, the customer engagement platform for growing businesses. And welcome to the Engage podcast where we are having conversations with business leaders and experts around customer experience and customer engagement. And I am Chris Parker, your host, and having a conversation with Mike Wittenstein, who is a customer experience strategist, consultant, uh, speaker. And we're going to unpack um, a really interesting, uh, I guess, question of how can a company or how can you, with your company, shift the focus from itself to its customers? And uh, for me, it's just such a delicious topic to chew apart. But uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining. Can you um, maybe start us off a little bit with with what's your relation to that challenge of, of shifting focus from ourselves as a company to to really being, you know, customer centric? You know, I think, Chris, I am like so many of your listeners. I have to fight with customer service on the telephone. I have to wade through commercials, streaming cable or watching YouTube or like everybody else. I'm constantly reminded of how little I'm valued and how much my role is to make the company better. You, you kind of connect with that. All right. I think we all experience that. Um, may, maybe we don't always remember that in our own organization and, and maybe we, sometimes we forget who the who the customer actually is and maybe what kind yeah. of experience we're providing them or not good, so good point about it, this shift from from internal focus to to customer focus um, um how do we get there uh, you know for me i guess there, there needs to be an, an awareness first that we are inwardly focused um what, what does the arc of that journey look like to um well, I'm going yeah. to put it in really, really simple terms. I'm going to talk to, to you and everyone listening as if you're a customer experience practitioner inside your own company, whether you're a consultant or you work on the front line and you're trying to make things happen or you're the CEO. There are really only three things you need to do. You need to make people aware that there's a different way to look at things. You have to teach them a little bit so that they're empowered. And then you go about fixing things and you do that together. You don't need any four or five or six syllable words to do good customer experience work. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the aware part. Let's go into the aware part. I think, I think we, we're, we're oftentimes aware of how other, you know, we as consumers are, are frustrated. And so we're very aware that way. But how do you bring that awareness into your own organization? Yeah. There are a couple of ways to do it. There, there are many ways to do it. So a couple of my favorites are when I'm a consultant going in to work with a client, I will put on one of their shirts and go serve milkshakes in the drive-thru if it's a fast food restaurant. I will put on a shirt and go stock boxes on the retail shelves and talk to customers along the way. If it's a, an online or pure play, I will order stuff online, return it to the store. I'll, I'll just poke and prod at all the different parts of the business to get a feel for how I feel. I'm not paying attention when I do that to all the nuances of like, how is the box and do I like the logo and is the packaging done right? Yeah, I pay attention to that stuff, 
But what I'm really paying attention to is how I feel. And everybody has the capacity to do that. So if you're a leader, if you're trying to get things to happen, you can get a few of your friends to take a similar journey. Some call it mystery shopping. There's a TV show called Undercover Boss that exposes the soft underbelly of what's going on. It's a little too schmaltzy and dramatic for my taste. But anyway, when a few people start to go through the same exercise, you've got different perspectives and different points of view. Generally, they will all land on the same feeling. It's very hard for a business to hide the way it makes its customers feel. It's embedded in operations, in rules, in advertising, in policies. So if several people are starting to feel the same thing, like I'm feeling hurried on my sales calls, it's probably because the company is trying to hurry things up. Anytime you get a negative emotion from that exercise, all you have to do is turn your head, look over there, and see what the company is trying to do. Nine times out of 10 has been my experience. I know that's an expression, but it really is nine times out of 10 for me. The company is trying to optimize something for itself without taking into account what it's doing to customers. So awareness is essential. You've got to be conscious of the notion, and this is just for everybody. It's a little, it could work for any of your podcasts, but a brand makes promises, a business keeps them. If you're in customer experience, you're going to get in between these two like opposing forces. And your job is to make sure that the business keeps the promise the brands make. The challenge for leaders, the challenge in all these projects is to make sure the promises are being made to the right people for the right reasons. So all customer experience work really rolls up to the strategy of the organization. And the title of this, this thing, what you opened with, is all about doing things for customers, not to customers. So you switch mm. the end effect of your customer experience work from what's good for the business to what's good for customers. And in the rest of this podcast, we'll kind of tease out why that is a better approach and why it always works. I would love to reach back into that and grab onto two things. Um, um, one brands make the promise and the business keeps the promise. I, I would I maybe slightly adjust that to the brand makes the promise and the people, you know, keep the promise. And what you said was, you know, if you're a CEO, go grab some friends and do a mystery shop. I'm curious if um, that was a deliberate meaning. Can you mystery shop yourself? Can the people in your business or the CEO themselves do the mystery shop? Or do they have this curse of knowledge that they're already indoctrinated? In the, in, in, there, there are two answers to that question. The first one is they have to do it because they won't believe what anybody else says. Hmm. And the second answer is whatever they think, they will be wrong. Because they are jaded. They have so much information at the leadership level of what's going on in the business. When they see a cup, they're seeing how the cup got there, the manufacturing costs, how it was value engineered, how many of them pack into a pallet and how heavy they are. And are we changing manufacturers? And what are we doing about the Suez Canal backup? And how blah, blah. They, they see all that stuff. They see spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations, and they can't see what customers see. They can't feel what customers feel. So you have to do a little bit of both. If you sometimes I'll send a CEO out or I will walk. I did this in Romania. Um, 
number of years ago. The CEO and his operating team and I, we met that day. We walked through the stores of this Home Depot, you know, competitor type of a store. I think it was called Dedeman, a great company. And we just stopped and I asked the CEO, what do you see? You know, we were looking at a display over here and he told me all the things that were in his head. And I said, did you notice that this is too high for a woman to touch? Did you notice that the price is the price that's next to this item is for the item over there? Oh, so it's when people go, oh, and they kind of get that awareness that's when their mind opens up. And that's when the detailed mystery shopping folks can kind of come in. The really cool thing, is, just one more thing to add on here. If you use mystery shopping um, companies, they generally look for consistency. So you have to tell them what you're looking for. For example, I want the salt on the left side of the pepper. Okay. Well, Okay, you can get consistency if you have somebody go out and grade people on that. And did you say hello within 10 seconds of walking in? But that's still not the gestalt or the feng shui. That's not the essence of the whole thing. So in addition to using that kind of work, I usually suggest that for later after we figure out what the issues are. You need people who are just really high on emotional intelligence, who are articulate, who are empathic, empathetic Human beings, artists are great. Anthropologists are great to do this work because they they deal in senses and and emotions all day long. Psychologists are good if they're not a little too, you know, you know, clinical. And they'll tell you how something makes them feel. And we're back to that feeling thing. If if you notice things are making you feel a certain way, you look around and you can find out what's causing it. And that's like step one for figuring it out. I hope I answered the question because I went on for a minute there. Absolutely. And, and um, I had a similar experience also doing some some customer experience training this time that was in, in Thailand at a box store. And um, I asked them to bring me to, or to point out to me, um, one of their newest flagship stores in one of the stores that was suffering, you know, wasn't performing. And I just went around and smelled and looked and took photos and Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was fascinated about was it was the produce section, which was at the flagship, the newest, the most modern store. It was beautiful. The produce was gorgeous. They have these little misters, you know, it was just well lit. But then there was these big signs, no photography. And so, of course, I took a picture of it because <laughs> you know, I have to. But then I brought that back into the executive team. I said, why is there a no photography sign over this beautiful, you know, just just you know layout of, of gorgeous food no one yeah. knew no one knew so, <laughs> and i don't even think they even saw it that way as well but um i'm curious when you maybe there's a couple tips and i know um for you language behaviors are are a, a powerful indicator because that's sort of i guess how culture is manifesting through the people what are some a, a few things that that if, uh, you know, for the listeners who are who are going to maybe look at their own business in a slightly different way, what are a few things that they should really um, be aware of that that they might not normally pick up because it's they consider it normal? Um, are you talking about in front of customers or inside the business or both? I'm going more towards in front of customers, um, like okay. like you know, because if 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 this is looking from the inside out, um, yeah. What what would a customer see that maybe we would normally be blind to because it's just normal for us? Okay. So customers, um, 
they'll see, well, first of all, they'll feel things. Um, they want to know that they're in a place where they are, generally speaking, where they're appreciated, they're being well-served, they're getting a good value, they're being respected. And on top of that, they want the product or service that they're looking for. They want, um, they're very busy people. They're looking to make sure that you curate their time, that you not um, waste their money, um, that you're giving them something that they can need and feel proud of, or that's useful when they get home. Those are all like the baseline kinds of things. Some of the things that we, that customers notice that let's pick retail, for example, because you just talked about grocery stores and everybody can recall a retail experience very quickly. They do pay a lot of attention to language, um, behavior, eye contact, respect, a lot of the basics from customer service training. But the one thing that I notice more than anything else is when somebody is being real in the moment with me and human and when they're being plastic. And we all get that on the phones all the time. My name is Mike, M-I-K-E. Um, let me double check. Is your name Mike, M-I-K-E? And it always comes with some kind of interesting pronunciation. It's not. It's like they're not even listening from the beginning. And I'm already frustrated. I know where the conversation is going to go. It's going to be gut-wrenching. It's going to be painful. It's going to take too much time. And then the next question comes and there's another repetition. And I feel like I'm starting to like drown in quicksand. It's, it's terrible. In person, the same thing can happen. It's the little things that a stranger can notice or a real customer can that you don't see. Do you look at somebody? Do you, do you create a space that they can be in with you? Do you treat them like a person? Do you suspend your disbelief that because of the way they're dressed, which might not be like you, and they might not already be wearing the clothes that you're selling in your department, that they're okay? Do you, those kinds of things are the best manifestations of the brand ever. So, language is one more, but go ahead. Well, uh, a couple of little funny anecdotes. Um, you know, talk about the name. I was in Geneva a couple of weeks ago at a Starbucks, as I do. And uh, my name is Chris. I guess I didn't pronounce it well because on the cup they wrote creep. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> am I dressed like a creep? Really? Is it that bad? So I don't know. We had a great laugh about it. And um, you know, yeah. as, as you might know, um, when I was younger, I worked at Nordstrom at, uh, in the US, which is, you know, top service oriented retailer. And I, found that just the level particular you really triggered me with you know people who might not look like your your customer um you know when someone walked onto the department floor and, and if they weren't dressed the part mm -hmm. um i was a for some reason i was attracted to that meaning oh wait mm -hmm. this person is maybe not who they seem to be mm -hmm. let me actually turn it up a notch and get and get over there and, and say, hey, you know, how may I help you and be there? And and people loved it. People loved it. Yeah. I think, and it was Good just common, it was common sense and it helped sail more. You know, that wasn't the point, but I was just like, ooh, you know, let, let's do this thing. So, but sorry, I so interrupted nice. when you're when you were segueing. Oh, well, you you made me think of something else. I did an experiment when I was speaking in Las Vegas. A brand new shopping center had been opened with only high-end retailers in it, like Harry Winston, you know. $100,000 to walk in the door kind of thing and Tom Ford suits and the like. And I I did seven shops and six of them looked at my feet before they looked at my eyes. Wow. 
they wanted to, and the deal was they just dressed me up, they just looked me up, men or women, they were sizing up my ability to pay. That's what I guessed. How did that make you feel? It made me feel um, like uh, like a piece of meat, like a like a machine, like I was just a thing or an object. The place that really surprised me was Tiffany. When I went into Tiffany, it was all eye contact. And I got asked questions about what I was looking for. There were no assumptions. There was that creation of like a, there was a connection that was made. I didn't love this person, but they were there to serve me. They made it very clear what, how Tiffany would treat its customers. I got evidence of that before a minute was over. I knew without asking, without reading that I could return a product that they were there to make me happy, that I wasn't going to overspend. I was going to pay a premium, but I wasn't going to be hoodwinked or cajoled into buying something I didn't need. I did ask a friend later who worked at one of these stores at one of the customer experience meetings that I went to. And they said, yeah, we kind of have to practice that. We're trained sometimes. This isn't across the board, but this person was actually trained to abuse customers a little bit because the thinking is they like to be treated um, poorly. It does, it's the, 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 the distinctions of like caste and rank and all of that seem to be what drive some of those customers. I don't think that's true because I know customers that shop at these places. But the fact that somebody would actually report that they were trained that way, just it just blew me away. We, we don't need that kind of behavior in the world. That's, that's not the way to run a brand. It just doesn't make any sense to me. We're off track, but now I'm now I've I'm glad I said that it's off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's um um yeah we could go down that rabbit hole a lot. I, um, I'm I'm curious if 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 you're on board with something. Um, again, maybe it's a bit of an American thing, but the whole concept of hire the smile and train the rest. Um, I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. if can you take someone who doesn't have this innate care of the, of the human buyer and inject that in them somehow is, is that is that what you mean by empowered like educate and, and train mm-hmm. um how do you make that shift in a, in a human from maybe i want to say uncaring and therefore inward looking and inward process looking to hey let's focus on the customer yep. what a, what a great question and all change management is all based on that <laughs> for sure um, my, my favorite definition, by the way, of change management is change the management. Does that make sense? <laughs> well, uh, let, well let, let me jump in on that and, and bite that, um, bite on that bone. Um, um, one of my observations and beliefs is, and I'm curious if you can defeat it, is if an organization really wants to fundamentally change its, its, its focus on customer, typically that comes when the CEO changes. And, and the new CEO really believes and cares authentically about this. And mm-hmm. that is what shakes the organization. So have you seen organizations do a 180 on customer care and customer interest? Not, not a 180, but yeah. an equivalent of that, Chris, is when the leadership or a leader has a change of heart and they share that publicly they have to do it really in a barrier soul kind of way. And I've seen it happen a couple of times. It's not frequent, 
But the ability of an organization to change depends on its leader's ability to change. And the more they put themselves out like on a show, just like a reality TV show and show like what they're going through and what they're thinking and how they're feeling a little bit differently. And they bring evidence and they're kind of the spokesperson for the change, the better it works because everyone looks to the leaders because of our hierarchies and capitalism and the way we're organized. Everyone kind of looks up for, is it okay to do that? You know, the unwritten rules of the road here are you'll get fired for that and you'll get promoted for that. So what should I do? So if leadership embraces the idea that things are going to be different and they show their change, it's much easier. Rare is the executive who can do that because they have to give themselves up to a future that they can't see. It's hard because they've been trained to focus on the numbers and keep doing better. And, you know, this consumerism, capitalist-driven thing, and it's kind of without a rudder. It's just like, go, 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 grow, go, grow. And you can't do that forever. We're getting reminded of that all the time in businesses that are falling out of the Fortune 500 and, you know, unions that are taking over other businesses and things that does not work. It's not a sustainable approach. What's really cool, I'm going to change gears for a second. What's really cool about becoming customer-led in your business is that you will never go out of business. You will always be relevant to your customer. So the trick is instead of trying to change your customers and their behaviors and their wants, instead of trying to manipulate them, use all that energy and intelligence to change the way the business works on the inside to meet the evolving needs of your customer. That fundamental shift is is a change of heart as well. So if you're lucky enough to have a leader who can change here and change here, generally, others will follow. It's a really amazing thing. Without, I, I know this is your show, but you are one of the folks that knows how to do that. I know you get this because I've seen you change in your life. You've done all kinds of different things and produced films and worked with people here and here at all different levels. So you've got that capability. And I hope that without sounding like I'm blowing wind up your skirts, I hope that more people with your wiring um, reach the tops of organizations because it's going to be a lot more comfortable for the customers, for the employees, and it'll be better for the world. It's just, it's a better way to lead. Well, thank you for that compliment. I, I will accept that with, with great appreciation. And, uh, and don't edit that out. I'm not going to edit that out. And, <laughs> and, um, and I first, you know, many moons ago when I start first started this, what is this customer experience thing? Um, I was uh, lucky enough to bump into you at that uh, a, a CX conference in, in London. And then you were able to do some work for us as a consultant. And um, I'm still inspired by some of those moments. So, so thank you for contributing to who I am. And also, uh, yeah, to this whole conversation. I would love to reach back and, you know, for that change of heart and change of mind, I guess when, you know, this is for the listeners. Um, if you really want to re-look at your business, your company and your customers in a different way, <clears throat> those friends you ask to mystery shop, make sure they're the ones who will tell you the truth. <laughs> make sure the ones that they will warts and all. And, 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 you know, like, yeah, this is what you're doing great. And this is what you really are not doing great at. And, and maybe that could be, a, a trigger for that shift. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. Look, yeah, go ahead. Well, you started with the three steps, awareness, you know, then this, you know, empower and then fix things. 
why did you put empower between fixings? Because I, I can imagine. Well, I put teach. I put teach. Okay. Teach. Okay. Teach. If the CEO is doing a mystery shop and they see things that are wrong, why would you teach before you fix? Because I guess the CEO could run back in and just fix things. What is the, what is the spirit of that order? Really good. Empower is almost the same word, Chris. Um, the reason is that if somebody else fixes things, the fix won't last. If you fix things, it will last. If you're on the front line, if everybody is capable and has some new tools to start making improvements, you're you're not running a fire department. Everyone is Smokey the Bear. I don't know. Let's make sure that everybody understands that. When there's a fire, the fire team goes out, the men and women and their heavy garb and their trucks and all these cool tools, and they spend a lot of energy and they get that fire put out. Great. There's a campaign in the United States that uses a bear wearing a ranger uniform and a, and, a, and a ranger's hat. And his job is to be ever vigilant. He's This bear is always looking for little kids leaving an ember that's not like wetted down before they leave the forest. So the job is prevention. So if you have thousands of visitors in the forest preventing forest fires, you don't need as many firefighters. The thing is that so many leaders are addicted to the adrenaline of fixing things. And they have the mindset that, oh, only I you know, a la Trump, only I can fix this, then that's kind of toxic. And those those solutions don't really last and the knowledge doesn't spread. Uh, the best customer experience people that I know say that they're the happiest when there's no longer a role for them or when there's no longer a customer experience department because all that knowledge has just been absorbed into the organization and it's part of its DNA. So teaching is really important. It's about making sure that everybody can uh, see what needs to be changed and has some tools to make those adjustments. Now, if they have to go through the standard process and the process is different than what they're trying to do, of course, it'll just get pushed back and expunged. And that's a recipe for disaster. It'll just make your best people leave and you'll get the opposite results and you'll get more stagnation and you'll just become more rigidified. And whatever that process was that was perfect months or years ago, but it'll never change. Yeah, I love that statement about the, the CX department, because I, I think a CX leader in a department is really necessary if you need to get something moving, if you need someone to own it, but it should never, I agree with you, it shouldn't be a permanent forever role. It, 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 you know, uh, it shouldn't become a job in, in, on its own. Um, establishing new behaviors and language and rituals is, is that an outcome of the training is, is that part of the fixing or is that part of the the process of training for you in my opinion the three things that you picked are not things that everybody can kind of come up with on their own so what i like to do is seed a few people with some special knowledge make sure they get really good at it and then have them by example with evidence of their small starter projects and with their own energies, kind of spread that out. Now, I'll help direct the spread as well. Oh, we need this over here. We need this new behavior over there. But internally, we'll make sure that those stories get kind of repeated and, and, and lifted up. I've heard that if 15% of the people in an organization start to change their belief, the rest will kind of follow suit. It's kind of like dominoes. Mm. So realize that you only have to get about 15% of the people on board and 
then you don't have to expend as much energy. You still have to pay attention, but you don't have to push the same amount of energy out to get that change because people will start to want it. The trick is not to, and we're changing gears again, but you can't change people. Nobody wants to be changed, but everybody likes to make change on their own terms. People love experimenting with the world and making things a little bit better mm. and, and playing with stuff. So if you give them tools like these behaviors and language and ritual, which we can tease out a little bit, then they can go do something with that. So sometimes as a leader, you have to, you have to add a hammer you know, or a survey or a new way of, uh, or a glossary tool for the entire department or whatever it is, but then let them use it and apply it. So don't, if you, if you use a, the too much process because you're good at process, the customer experience stuff won't really mm -hmm. take because process requires that you know what to do in advance and customer experience requires that you respond to what happens in the moment. So the organization has to be more flexible. Uh, that fifteen percent thing is just um, really triggering me. I, I I never thought of it that way, and it's, it's kind of one of those things. I guess you can't unsee. And if and if people are listening in their in their, uh, you know, there's some sort of desire in them to improve their 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 customer game, if you will. Um, that fact in its own could be a game changer. Meaning, if you look at a distribution curve of people who are open to something, there's always a twenty percent that are curious and open to it. And of course there's 20% who mm -hmm. don't want anything to do with it. And then yeah. there's the masses yeah. in the middle. And if you just need to get 15%, that's typically in the, we're open to it section anyways. So you, you know, if you focus on them, they're already curious, open, inspired and work on them. And then, mm -hmm. and, and then that, you know, the, the, you know the, the, they will wag the rest of the tail, hopefully. Um, how, how would you activate those people? So just, just to, to dive into that a little bit, if you, if you're focusing on can you even select the 15% or are they, they self-select? Is it, is this a, is there a strategy here? You know, I don't know if there's a universal for that. And it's something that a lot of my CX colleagues struggle with and everyone has their own opinion. So I can share with you a couple of things that have actually worked in practice. And that's about as far as I can go. Um, I'm, I always like coming up with new ideas for new companies. I don't believe that the, um, Whatever worked at company A is going to work at organization B. You have to kind of get in there, feel your way. It, it Customer experience is truly a performance. It is not a process. And if you're designing a performance, it can't be too structured. You know, even if you're watching a, a wonderful play like Hamilton's been all over, it's a, another billion dollar play. There's still a lot of flexibility in the way they start the show, in the way the actors work and how they connect with members of the audience. I was lucky enough to sit in one play. Um, I can't remember where I was. I was out of country. I was very close to the front and I had such an amazing experience because I was interacting with a couple of the actors. I didn't do anything, but they made me feel so much a part of it. The same thing is true on a retail floor with a stockbroker, an insurance agent, clerk in the deli department, like we talked about before. So anyway, what's worked for me is creating one, a space inside of the home office or a satellite with some walls and some new rules. So we did this for a company called Habasit. They make uh, conveyor belts, okay? Refrigerated conveyor belts, dead chicken conveyor belts, giant army truck conveyor belts. It's all kinds of things. And they just make things move in the same place all the time. 
So we created this octagonal structure that had some meaning for their brand. And when you walked in, there was a message that said, you know, like, I think it was like, shh. Okay. It was like, can't talk about this, but anybody was allowed in. So no big deal. Mm -hmm. So you go in and each of the different walls had a different part of what we were working on. There was an idea wall. There was a work in progress wall. There was a failures wall. There was a governance wall. There was one for details on customer experience. So when we went in there, it was a safe space where you could talk about anything, anyone, any way, and you were safe. Nothing bad was going to happen to you. And as you walked out, there was a big sign over the door that said, don't take anything from in here out there. The realization is that people working on change generally start to believe that whatever they're working on, everybody else already gets, and they don't. So if you assume that they do, all you're going to do is frustrate the heck out of them. So we created that space, and it gave everybody in the organization a chance. And these were people of all different ages and backgrounds and thinking disciplines. There was a lot of mental diversity. They all had a chance to start creating and arguing with each other and coming up with solutions together. And sure enough, it was the impetus for making a change in the customer experience that was then taken out to the call center and taken out to the shipping dock and taken out to the sales team, but they did it themselves. And it made all the difference in the world because they had that, that pride of ownership. So that's one thing that works really, really well. I can do more, but that's no, create, create the space. <laughs> I love it. It's, um, um, in the performance, all right, I have to, I have to share the story. Uh, the, the moment I fell in love with Taylor Swift, not romantic love, obviously, but as, as a performer and became a Swifty was, um, the first time I heard about her really is when I heard that some young country artist from the States said no to Spotify, that she pulled her, her music off of Spotify in protest of, of something that Spotify was doing. But I was like, wow, that, that, that's a statement. And then she happened to be coming to Amsterdam and, and I went with my wife and um, I was so impressed because the stage that came out of the main stage was this really long platform. So I thought, oh, she's going back, you know, so she's actually performing really deep into the audience. So she was able mm -hmm. to, maybe. and then the amazing thing is that whole platform raised. Uh -huh. And so she was able to actually start performing to the upper deck. And then the platform shifted a 180. So she was, she basically gave these really intimate performances to all of these different dimensions. I'm like, wow, this lady gets it. She that's is so cool. Yeah. Creating a space. So, um, and that's when I became a Swifty. Um, starting to wrap up, I want to, we talked about, and, and I'm maybe going to correct myself a little bit, said, you know, you know, the brand makes the promise and the business keeps the promise or the people keep the promise. What about technology? And I still think it's the people that, keep the promise because the people make the technology work. So I'm still going to stay very firm on the people part, <laughs> but how, you know, if you're talking about AI and algorithms and digitizing part of the experience and self-service that can be quite distant and cold and, and, and hard to get the feedback. If someone's going to, to, to um, digitize part of that performance, is there anything that, that, that you can advise to still keep that, customer focused, still keep that on brand, still keep that, you know, yeah. fulfilling the promise. You know, some companies are doing a pretty good job of that right now. Uh, I, I don't want to name names, um, 
because I can't remember them, to be honest with you. But there are a number of, actually, I, I do know one. We just got a new um, washer and dryer because our dryer failed and our washer was kind of verbally complaining to us that it's, it was ready to retire, making these funny noises. So we got a new washer dryer. We had to call the company that sold it to us. And our call within 30 seconds was, and, and two button clicks, oh, are you calling about the new washer and dryer? Oh, do you have an installation question? Right person. And we we needed a credit because they didn't haul our old ones away. And within another two minutes, we already had our credit. So they were using AI on the inside to make the experience better for me. And I love that because this company is not known for being very friendly to its customers. So my, uh, my, my guidance or, you know, my thinking on how do you use AI is use the heck out of it. Learn. It's not going to disappear. But because the topic of this whole thing is shifting attention to customers, think about with your AI and with your net promoter scores and with all this other stuff, think about one thing and it'll change the course of your company. That one thing is, how can I create more value for my customers first? My my uncle taught me that, you know, that he was a very successful accountant. He became a philanthropist. He was so successful. He did not philanthropize me, though. So, I mean, <laughs> that's not a real word. Um, but he said, your, your job as a professional services person is to help your clients make more money and you get to keep a piece of it. And that kind of stuck with me. And I noticed that a lot of successful businesses have, you know, uh, applied that same formula. So in the customer experience world, if you're trying to take cost out of your operations, if you're trying to make them more efficient, that's all good. But what comes at the cost of that is that your experience ends up becoming more monolithic and as a result, more rigid. So, being flexible becomes harder. And we already know, everybody already knows that you need to be more flexible because customers' demands are changing. So if you're making yourself more fixed, not good. So focus your energy, focus your technology on anticipating what customers need next and making the business ready to develop it. And if you're able to conceive that, and you're able to show other people that that can work with some small experiment, you can take that pattern and start to build on it, and it can grow inside the company. The reality is for a number of firms that when they do better for their customers, their shareholders get happier too. And we've had this conversation before, so I know you know, but it's just so yeah. important to, to recall. And and that, that customer value first, as opposed to, say, business internal efficiency first, Um uh, we're not supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, plugging or, or, or selling, you know, the destiny engage the sponsor of the, of this. And you, people can find that at destiny, dstnyengage.com. Last time I was in, in Cairo where mo most of the team is, I was giving a CX masterclass and accidentally the head of sales was giving us a, a customer centricity course, uh, the same week. And so I just stepped in there. And one of the things that I was, I was most impressed, and this was a head of sales, um, talking about customer lifetime value. And his statement was, this is not customer lifetime value for us. 
we must be focusing on the lifetime value that we're creating for the customer. And I, I, I just, I just, I was like, wow, that is so bang on. Um, and the fact that coming from of, a sales guy, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was just so impressed with that. So um, we're wrapping up Mike Wittenstein again. Um, uh, thank you so much for joining, for your sharing your insights. If people would like to, to learn more about Mike, you know, his, his, um, his speaking, his, his uh, helping co uh, companies with strategies, his consulting, you can find Mike at storyminers.com, um, where all, everything's available there about Mike. And of course, this is uh, sponsored by Destiny, DSTNY.com, and our omnichannel uh, customer engagement solution called Destiny Engage. So Mike, thank you so much for joining. As, as usual, this has been- Pleasure delightful. to be with you. Yeah. for listening to Engage, the podcast for actionable insights and tactics to take customer engagement to the next level. This podcast is sponsored by Destiny Engage, the customer engagement platform for growing businesses. For show notes, to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and to learn more about how you can transform customer engagement today, visit destinyengage.com.